From breaking news to local stories happening where you live, this is the Jill Bennett Show podcast. Rob Fain for Jill on a Thursday, seven minutes after 12. Thank you for making me a part of your afternoon. I want to get right into it because our next guest, former premier of this fine uh, province of British Columbia, Ujjal Dosanjh, has obviously got a very good understanding of politics, both at the federal level and the provincial level, and he's kind enough to join us this afternoon. Ujjal, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Well, I want to talk about, obviously, the conversation here between Canada and India, but as we talk about the things that are in the here and now, this distrust between India and Canada, and in particular the Trudeaus, goes back decades, doesn't it? Well, it does. I mean, I, you know, I've, as uh, uh, Terry Glevin and others have written, uh, Terry Molesky has written as well, that uh, it was the senior Trudeau that uh, did not want to extradite uh, Thilavindra Pramar and others who later on, um, you know, went on to down air India. Um, and uh, you have now Mr. Trudeau, um, uh, under whose leadership the there's a burgeoning uh, movement of for Khalistan in, in Canada, while there is none in Punjab. Um, and he has never been able to say to these people, he always defends them by saying it's freedom of expression. I understand that. I support the freedom of expression. But he could also go on to say India is a friendly country. Uh, we don't support your idea of dismembering India. Um, that's never been said. Uh, the conversation always stops uh, after using the rubric of freedom of expression. And I think that, that India sees that uh, that Mr. Trudeau has been uh, surrounded um, by, um, during his leadership, uh, particularly at the beginning, by Khalistanis and their supporters. And uh, Mr. Jagmeet Singh is a well-known Khalistani supporter. So he currently supports the government, keeps it in power. So, you know, Indian government doesn't trust Mr. Trudeau on these issues for those reasons. Um, I think, on the other hand, you can say the same about Mr. Modi. He's not much of a Democrat. He is running a government that is uh, veering India towards Hindu nationalism um, and, and, and doesn't take care of its minorities, such as the untouchables and, and the uh, Muslims and the Christian minority in the Northeast. They're being lynched. And he remains silent. So, you know, Canada can't really do, you know, 100% business uh, with uh, that government either from our liberal democratic perspective. So I think you, you have this distrust on both sides. And right into the void in the distrust, you thrust this huge statement in uh, about, uh, India being a rogue state, India coming into Canada, killing a Canadian citizen, which is wrong. I mean, killing a Canadian citizen is absolutely condemnable. Uh, but, you know, were there no other ways of dealing with this issue? I don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation, and we've had a lot of different people on this station say that maybe that wasn't the move that Justin Trudeau should have made, and maybe there was a, a political angle. And that's something that India has kind of hinted at. That They called the, the obvious... Um, thought process of them coming into Canada, absurd, quote unquote. But the reality is, is now the cat's out of the bag. So from your perspective, now that we're starting to see diplomats getting sent back from each country, what is something that maybe Canada can do to stop this snowballing? Because I would think, you know, even though we're the ones pointing the finger at India, that India's got a number of cards that they can still play in this. India, you know, India has 
perhaps more cards than 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 we have. Um, it's a larger country. Um, uh, you know, it's a larger economy. It's poor, but still the economy is quite large. So um, I think India has more cards um, in terms of even our allies, and that's why our allies are somewhat mute on this question. Um, and and I think that presents a problem for Mr. Trudeau. Uh, but because there is this distrust that exists between uh, the governments uh, for um, reasons that I've stated, um, it seems to me that uh, for our relationship to improve anytime soon, one perhaps would have to look beyond the current regimes in both countries. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and and that's a long way off. I, I don't think countries can wait that long. Uh, you know, we we the other problem is the so meat in the sandwich are us people, Indo-Canadians uh, of all backgrounds who are immigrants or second, third generation people here who want to go back to India for personal reasons or business reasons. And now they have an added inconvenience of not being able to get visas. Um, so, you know, I, I, Mr. Trudeau, if he had the evidence, and I have to trust him, he's my prime minister, if he had the evidence, um, he um, may have uh, chosen a different route, could have chosen a different route of dealing with it, not to forgive or forget that India may have uh, killed this man, uh, but to deal with it in, in a way that is perhaps more statesmanlike. Uh, my final question for you, Mr. Dosanjh, and I please appreciate the time today. I want to localize this here to maybe even just the lower mainland. The temperature right now in the Sikh community, now that this is out and everybody's kind of pointing fingers, what is the temperature within that specific community? And is it kind of a shaking can of pop or are they just simply trying to stay cool knowing that tensions are high abroad? Oh, I think I think people, you know, people have their busy lives. People are trying to take their children to school, go to work, earn a living. Those things take over, and uh, and this is a big story. But uh, ordinary people's lives uh, carry on, and you know, vast majority of the Sikhs aren't Khalistanis, so they may spend five minutes on thinking about it, and then they move on. Um, you know, there is that significant minority that's now. Um, you know, uh, Khalistani and, and has a campaign going. I think for them, it just, this adds fuel, uh, uh, in a sense, to their movement, at least temporarily. It's a great conversation to have, and your perspective, uh, very important to that conversation. I thank you for your time today. Let's do this again. Thank you. Well, we see the rising cost of living here in Vancouver and across the province and across the country. And you know what? Every once in a while, we have to have a tough conversation with our partners or maybe even just ourselves saying, you know what? I have to take on a second job, but there's no shame in doing it. I mean, I know a lot of people uh, close to me that, you know, they do Uber or they do skip the dishes or they do something where they still control their hours. But at the same time, every once in a while, they'll jump in their car at seven o'clock in the evening turn on the I'm available for three or four hours, make a couple of bucks, and then head home for the night. But there are a number of challenges that go into that, and I think we can all speak to this. But, I mean, the realities are is there's much more than just relationships. I mean, you got to think of childcare costs. For example, if you have young kids, that could be up to an extra $1,000 a month. 
And if you're only adding $650 to your budget, it might not be worth the time in the experience. Investopedia had a wonderful article written by Angie Moore that just came out the other day. Um, Actually, it was bright and early this morning that was talking about why you maybe should not get a second job. And it's funny because so many of us just assume, well, you know what? My debts are more than my credit, so I got to find a way to get up even Steven. Nobody thinks to cut back on the debts. They just think of how they can make more money so that they can get to being able to break even on that one. So it was a really interesting study and included in the childcare and the transportation was also opportunity costs. The opportunity cost of working a second job Now the question is, what do you have to give up to make it work? I mean, what would have been the difference had you chosen the next best option? For example, and this is, again, from the report, which I I thought was a really great breakdown of this. You decide to take a second job for, you know, what, $15, $16 an hour, and it's for a total of eight hours per week. Well, the job's starting time is only an hour after you get off work from your main job. So you got to rush home, you got to put something on, you got to throw something together for dinner, and then you got to rush off to your new, new job. You no longer have time to make the dinner from scratch. I know these are things I never even thought of. But think about this. Now you're eating out or you got to purchase those frozen meals that you can just huck in the old microwave. That can actually increase your grocery budget and become one of the opportunity costs of working a second job. Now that is logistical. But if we do circle back on the relationships, now I'm just about to turn 50 in January. Oh, gosh, isn't that something? But anyways, and yes, I do dye my hair if people really want to (laughs) know. (laughs) The gray stuff on the side comes back really fast. I look like a cast off from Fantastic Four. But in any event, I think to myself, you know what? At least my kids have grown up. They've moved out of the house. It's my wife and I and my dog Patches, the greatest dog in the world. And we can find ways. And, you know, we're very lucky that my second job is usually more for hobby than it is because of necessity. But Lucas, who's on the other side of the glass today, is a younger guy in his 20s. Still looking at life from a completely different perspective, and you have a second job. Yeah, I do. I do. What? It, what it, is? Just give me the industry. Well, I, I work in in sports, so I, I'm the media coordinator for the Surrey Eagles of the BCHL. And if you don't know, that is a junior hockey club here uh, in South Surrey, and it's more out of hobby as well, not necessarily necessity, because I fortunate enough to still live in my house with my family. I I pay rent, but it's not the level of rent that you would see across uh, the lower mainland. And so I'm fortunate in that position, but everything that you just talked about in this Investopedia article, I feel so hard already. And I know that a lot of other people my age do as well. So for example, you got a second job. Does that mean you see your friends less? If you've got a significant other, does that cut into the time as well? I mean, there's obviously social aspects to this, which all of a sudden become a challenge. Yeah, no, 100%. And I do have a relationship and I do have friends that I I don't see. The friends I don't see as often, um, but that is also because all of us are sort of finding our way in life. So it's kind of a little bit more understandable. With the relationship thing, it is difficult because we are still in within our first year. We're still, you know, in that honeymoon phase, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. And so having that sort of aspect taken away because I'm so focused on work uh, and and she is as well, you know, it is definitely something that, I'm trying to work through and a lot of other young people are trying to work through. And the thing is, you don't really consider how much this stuff would impact you balancing both work and personal life, you know, when when you're in school, things like that, until you get into the working industry 
and you're in your early 20s and you're already making these these hard decisions and, mm-hmm. and really you know it's it's really impacted my mental health at times for sure and I know a lot of others as well that's not even including you know uh, the potential of what your future holds you know I'm 23 years old and I'm already considering where am I going to live with my girlfriend in five years six years we already would like to move out together at some point and it's like we're thinking about should we go somewhere else? Should we go to Alberta? I have friends from college that went to Calgary, found a place nearby downtown Calgary, $1,600 a month, a one-bedroom apartment, great place, and they're already kind of comfortable there. And it's like, I'm 23 years old. Why am I thinking about such a big decision already? But that is just the circumstances that that's, a lot of 20, that's Vancouver. young people are in. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. You know, you worked in PR, or pardon me, work in PR. I did PR for 16 years with the Vancouver Canadians over two stints, and you know, the one thing that I didn't have the luxury because, you know, communications is such an all-in job. It's almost a 24-7 job is I think to the times where I had to actually incorporate my family into my career. Like, for example, I'll never forget this. And I was very lucky that I worked for Jake Kerr, Jeff Mooney and Andy Dunn, because those three were very big and saying there was no uh, stigma of bringing your daughter to work. or There was no stigma of your son showing up and, you know, shagging fly balls in the outfield. But there were days, and, and this is a true story where I would broadcast the top of the fourth inning and my daughter would be sitting on a, you know, a smaller chair beside me at Nat Bailey stadium. And I'd say, okay, we'll be back after this with the, you know, the next inning. And I would change her diaper on my broadcast table during the game. True story. Well, because you, I mean, you have to essentially make sure that you're available to these guys and your job takes over. I mean, my daughter who's now graduated, she's moved out. Uh, I think of all of the experiences of my life, a lot of them were at Nat Bailey Stadium or they were on the road. Like she traveled with me when I went to Hillsborough or Salem Kaiser or to Boise. I mean, she's got her whole childhood that is kind of blended in with my career. And I'm very, like I said, I'm very fortunate that those experiences probably galvanized us and made us stronger as a father and a daughter. But there's so many families out there right now that that time comes with an employer that maybe or a job that doesn't allow you to bring your family in. So I only tell you that story, not to say, oh, my God, I used to change diapers on the table at Nat Bailey Stadium, but more so just what's more important to you? And and I think this is something that younger families like yourself, Lucas, and in a couple of years, maybe I'll have to make this decision as well, is what's more important to you, that second job that helps elevate you, maybe get you that next tax bracket, or is it spending time with your loved one? Doesn't always have to be a kid, can be a dog, could be a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a partner of any sort. Um, and, and what's more important to you? Because like I said, I think this is the challenge that a lot of us face is, Oh my God, I see all the bills. I need another job so that I can cover all those bills. But what if you looked at it the other way and said, cool, I'm just not going to drive that type of car or I'm going to do something else that brings it down so that your life matches your single job income. And now I can actually spend time with my family because I'll tell you this, man. And it was a couple of weeks ago. I was in the hospital. It was a really bad to do. Like for those who don't know, I was in a hospital. I had sepsis. My blood was infected and it was really bad. Like it was really bad. And I just remember in that moment, there was my mom, there was my wife, there was my son. My daughter couldn't get there in time and they were all in the ER watching me. And then they had to be shooed out of the room because the doctors and nurses had to get to work because it was... It was happening pretty fast. And I thought to myself, you know, and and I thought about that right in that moment. My job isn't here. My Twitter's not here. 
none of those things that I value and put so much time and effort to are around this bed right now. It's my family. It's the people that I've grown up and loved with. So I just, I sit back and I'm like, man, I read these reports and I see all the pressures right now that everybody's facing, both young and old. And I say to myself, well, what's important at the end of the day? I'm not saying you have to be a minimalist and just give up everything. But if you're debating taking a second job where you might make a couple hundred bucks extra month, is it really worth it? That for me, and, and Lucas, I've only got about 30 seconds. That to me is like something that I would agree with. But I don't know. It's an interesting conversation. When I see these reports come up, I would go to and check out this article. It's a really good read. Investopedia.com, the financial edge. It is what you, when you get a job, here's the pros and cons. And here's when you actually should not get a second job. Written by Angie Moore. And um, yeah, it's worth your time. One of the things that I wanted to get into is, uh, and this stemmed from just a real random conversation, is how has dating in Vancouver changed since the pandemic? We all know that people meet online. I'm, I'm shocked at how many people these days meet online. But how is that actually impacting relationships and how has it re, uh, changed the relationship schematic since the pandemic, I guess we'd say, since 2021? Joined by Maureen McGrath, host of the Sunday Night Health Show on CKNW. Maureen, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Rob Fay, and uh, congratulations to you on your new show, first and foremost. Thank uh, you. Rob, yeah, coming up weekends with Rob Fay. That's yeah, awesome. No, I was I was taken aback when I found out the other day, and it was really nice to be able to finally make that public. So thank you, Maureen. You're welcome. Um, congratulations. Thank you. I look you. forward to listening, uh, tuning in. I, I hope so. You'll have to be a guest. Let's get right to it. I might as well start booking now. Um, Maureen, let's talk a little bit about uh, life on the dating scene. It's been a while since I've had to create a Tinder profile. I don't know if I actually ever had to, but... Uh, it stemmed from a conversation that I had with a couple just the other day, and they said that they met online, which is not uncommon, but they said that life has changed since the pandemic when it comes to relationships. So how are people meeting in 2023? Well, I would say that online dating apps and websites were already popular in Vancouver before the pandemic. And in fact, maybe 10, 15 years ago in my clinical practice, if somebody met online, they would tell me secretly, don't tell anybody, but we met online. Whereas uh, it became far more popular as the years went on. And then since the pandemic, it's almost commonplace. It's the norm. It's the social norm of of dating. And, and really, there's almost no other way uh, to meet people, although there is. <laughs> but that's the perception. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that came up was uh, being numb to the courting face. And, you know, you think of Tinder, which is an app where you can swipe left or right. You like the way they look great. You don't like the way they look great. And it's just a left or a right. And, you know, gone are the days of, well, maybe he's not my cup of tea, but I'll give him a shot at least. Now it's a lot more aesthetic. Absolutely. And, you know, that's the thing. It's like a smorgasbord out there. And, and a lot of people think, um, you know, there, there's going to be somebody better. There's a, there's a brighter, shiny shinier object after this particular one. And, and, and so it's impacted relationships in that people, you know, may have issues around trust in relationships. Safety is another issue. It's, it became a, a top priority for daters during the pandemic. Um, you know, transparency about, dare I say, the word vaccine status and health precautions mm. as well. And, you know, and that can also differ. Um, you know, people can take a bit longer when they've met somebody online. They may have started online and then may have started virtual dating. So things can be a little bit slower, can take a little time to trust that person. But we had some benefits too. Conversations about boundaries, consent and personal safety have also become more the norm. 
What about television shows? I know I, you know, every once in a while I come downstairs and my wife is watching Love is Blind or, you know, The Bachelor, <laughs> The Bachelorette. I'm, oh boy, she gets into all of those different shows and I just roll my eyes. But there's definitely, um, I don't want to call it a stigma, but there's a, a whole bubble of there of, of that's how dating should be in this day and age. And, and it, let me just put it right out there. It should not be <laughs> that way. What we see on TV is not real, um, whether it's in the bedroom, in intimate lives, as it relates to a person's intimate life, it's definitely not real. And, you know, um, I heard somebody say recently that, you know, the norm about relationships is the Wednesday, you know, Wednesdays and Thursdays, the time during the week that it's kind of, you know, hump day, if you will, but it's kind of, you know, the mundane, the boring, that that's life. Um, it's not always exciting. It's not always, you know, a bowl of cherries. And, and so it's getting through those things. And, you know, today, because there's such easy access online, are people more willing to you know, throw in the towel on a relationship with somebody that they've met online that they maybe didn't get to know as well as they may have thought. Were they feeling that their biological clock was ticking away um, with all of their friends settling down, getting into relationships? You know, is that that's the impact that I think there might be something better out there for me and I don't have to put up with this. But that's actually how you gain resilience and you gain strength in your relationship and you bond that much better. Maureen McGrath is the host of the Sunday Night Health Show here on CKNW. Maureen, times are tough. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Should the way that a bill is paid change? I mean, I remember when I went on a first date, it was just assumed that the guy paid. But in 2023, has that that element changed? You know, that certainly has changed. And, you know, for a number of reasons. And, you know, we're seeing if we want more equality, gender equality, we're going to have to, you know, rise to that occasion. And, you know, fair is fair, but we don't have that yet. So, but, but a lot of people, that's a, a deal breaker for them. If, if somebody doesn't offer to pay in, in the partnership or on the first date, for example, I, I know of somebody who they saw, this is another thing about online dating is, you know, people can par- park themselves in front of a yacht and don some, you know, topsiders and a blazer and look like they are the captain. Mm-hmm. And when they don't have two nickels to rub together. And, um, I, a friend of mine actually went on a date with such such person and the person couldn't buy a coffee for her and couldn't take money out of the debit machine for $8, I think that it was. Hmm. And so I actually helped her investigate, you know, she said, he seemed so nice and all of these things. And, and, um, she said, there was one person who put a comment online. And then when I did a little investigation, cause I do this for patients in my clinical practice quite often, I said, no, there's actually 47 women here who've said the exact same thing. They've had the same experience. So it's easier to find out about people, but getting back to your question, um, I think it's a conversation and I think the the pandemic allowed us to do that, to have more open, intimate conversations and about what, you know, is, is good for me or what would make me feel comfortable, what would make you feel comfortable. And to be able to, to express that, I think, is important. All right, Maureen, final question for you. I think they call it catfishing, or at least that's what the kids call it. Oh. Putting up a picture <laughs> that isn't quite what you look like. Is that uh, in, in 2023? Is that still a sin? Uh, it absolutely, you know, it's terrible. In fact, I had a patient who was very distraught. This had happened to her and she had met, uh, met online virtual dating, but had actually never seen the person. And that was a problem as well. And so they were talking and, um, connecting and texting and all this sort of thing. And then she sent me a picture 
um, or she showed me a picture of um, this cut and paste. And this person said that they had to fly off in their private jet. Their daughter was hospitalized in a New York City hospital with COVID, and it was obviously doctored. You know, it causes tremendous stress for people when they are catfished. It's, you know, they're, they feel betrayed, and then it, it also impacts their trust and they'll end up having trust issues in a relationship. How can you trust again online when that's what you have encountered? Yeah. If, if, it, if, if it isn't Brad Pitt, don't try to put a picture that makes you look like Brad Pitt. I think that's fair to say. Maureen, Absolutely. thank you. What an absolute pleasure to talk with you again. Thank you for the kind words at the top of the segment. But more than anything, let's do this again. For sure, Rob. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Jill Bennett Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop? Tune in to the Jill Bennett Show live from noon till 3 on 980 CKNW. Have a question or comment? Send me an email, jill at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening. 